0: It's June, 2015, and my guest today is Holly Ross from the Drupal Association. Welcome to Hacking Culture, featuring in-depth interviews with free software advocates. Hacking Culture is brought to you by Lullabot, and I'm your host, Matthew Tift. As many of you have figured out by now, I spent a lot of time working on Drupal, one of the leading content management systems built with free software. And I have not yet had an episode of hacking culture specifically about Drupal, but today I edge much closer to that subject. The topic of today's show is the Drupal Association, which I will refer to as the DA periodically. I would like to start off by pointing out a few of my biases. I've been an individual member of the Drupal Association, a candidate for the Drupal Association Board of Directors, and in each year I helped organize the Drupal Camp Twin Cities, I've always made a point to promote the Drupal Association. I've been a longtime supporter of the DA, and I think they're doing great work. However, a few people in the Drupal community seem to hold a variety of lingering suspicions about the Drupal Association. People say things about the DA that catch me off guard. Because I have a great deal of respect for the Drupal Association, and because I want them to succeed, I'm hoping to use this show to dig into some of these more controversial issues. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of being joined by the Executive Director of the Drupal Association, Holly Ross. How are you doing today, Holly?
1: I am awesome. Thanks for chatting with me today.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm looking forward to this.
1: Let's see what happens. (laughs)
0: I think we should begin by talking a little bit about you. When I first was introduced to you, it was through a post that Dries had written, and he said that Holly is a well-known visionary leader in the nonprofit technology community with a proven track record of developing and implementing organizational strategies that provide direct community benefit. How would you describe yourself?
1: (laughs) Um... Not with those words, but those were nice words. (laughs) I mean, I think most of the time I'm someone who is surprised to find out that I am indeed a (laughs) grown-up. I love to knit. I love my cat, and I love my family, maybe in that order. (laughs) Um, but uh, on the work front, um, yeah, I've worked in nonprofit te- technology for a, a really long time, and I think I'm still working on the vision part of things, but I've always really been driven by by building community around ideas. You know, generally, it's the idea that technology can do really amazing things for us. Not in the breathless way that Silicon Valley talks about it, but in real meaningful ways. And, uh, and so that was re- really attracted me to the Drupal community is that, you know, got a bunch of great technologists and they also happen to really care about what they're doing uh, and they're really thoughtful about it and they want it to have an impact. Um, and I just, uh, you know, was really enamored of that.
0: So before you started at the Drupal Association, you were at N10 for 10 years did you use mostly free software while you were at N10? Uh,
1: we used a lot of free software. So one of the ways that I knew about Drupal is that our site was built on Drupal. We used another lots of other open source tools, GIMP for image editing from time to time, although eventually we gave that up and moved to Photoshop functionality-wise. Uh, just didn't do what we needed sometimes. We used... Uh, other open source tools. I used uh, OpenOffice for most of my career there as well. So, you know, we used a lot of different uh, lot of different open source tools there, but definitely not exclusively. And I think the sort of GIMP and Photoshop example there is probably a good one. You know, at the end of the day, you've got a job to do. And if it was a question of, should we spend our time trying to hack this tool to get it to do what we want? Or should we just get a tool that does what we need it to do? You know, Um, so that we can get on with things and then actually work on the impact of our work as opposed to the, you know, making the tools work part of our work. That was, you know, we always went in favor of less packing the tools, more time to work on the impact part of our work. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. It sounds like you went for things that worked for you that were practical and that fit with your workflow, whether they were open source or proprietary.
1: You know, always the right tool for the right job. And we prefer to use open source tools where we could, but that wasn't going to be a limiting or defining factor for us.
0: So I'm going to bring up an article that you wrote six years ago, which is a pretty long time in the technology world. It had a provocative title, Open Source is Dead, Long Live Open Source. (laughs) You talked about a number of things in that article. And then in one of the comments, you mentioned how your views had changed. And I was just curious how your views have changed and how that fits into what you do with the Drupal Association.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think, and this will probably not endear me to uh, a subset of folks out there, but it's what I personally believe. And so I'm just going to say it because I feel like that's important. But I, I don't believe that open source is necessarily always better, right? Like I just said, you got to choose a tool, the right tool for the job you need to do, because you've got to put your time focusing on the impact that you're trying to make, um, not on getting your tools to work for you. Uh, and when I wrote the article, the, the point I was trying to make is that um, we'd been talking about open source in the nonprofit technology community for, for quite a few years at that point. So what was it nine years ago? So it was like 2006 I wrote this.
0: I think it was 2009.
1: Oh, 2009, right. That's how math works. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) But I think like the first time I distinctly remember having a large conversation around open source in the intent community was probably 2003, 2004, somewhere in that time period. And at that time, open source conversations were probably mostly focused around Linux and the, you know, the server side of things. And open source was just starting to break into consumer end products. And it was databases and content management systems where that was really starting to happen. And one, uh, so we started to, so we would organize an annual conference for folks working in nonprofit technology. When we were doing ses- session submissions, that's about the time that we started seeing people submitting sessions to talk about why nonprofits should choose open source tools. I would say like 95% of the session submissions for those events were focused on the idea that open source values align with nonprofit values. That's why you should choose open source. And I think that's true that those values are nice. And that's why at Inten we would prefer to use open source tools whenever they made sense. We were an organization that was about community and collaboration and transparency. And we wanted tools that reflected those values too. But I think my, my larger point was as open source gained momentum and as we rolled towards 2009, adoption was happening at a grand scale at that point. And I, I felt like, you know, it was winning. Like open source had won. There was no point in like talking about uh, open source anymore as this sort of uniquely distinct thing because it was getting wide adoption, but it wasn't winning based on the values argument. It was winning because it was better code. Where it was winning, it was because it was better because Drupal is just a better product than a lot of other tools. And part of it is because it's open source, right? The fact that you can go in and do the hacking that you need to do, the fact that a community comes in and writes thousands of modules that will extend the functionality for you. That part of open source is what makes it work. And that's where my thinking changed. I saw like lots more value around the open sourciness of it. But I think the main argument I was trying to make is the values argument, that's not ever going to be compelling in terms of driving adoption.
0: Well, I think a lot of people probably agree with you that they want to use the open source tools where it makes sense. And I think that really summarizes a lot of people that are more into it because it works. Mm -hmm. Clearly, there are a lot of people that believe in free software as a philosophical movement. And then there's others that, you know, if we want to make simple divisions in the community that have a view that's Probably very similar to what you've expressed.
1: So when I talked about that sort of evolution, I think, I think I referenced this at the end of the post a little bit, but I believe it even more strongly now. It's the model of how open source gets developed. That is something that I wanted to see more of in the nonprofit sector. The way that we develop collaboratively in open source is really interesting. And I'd like to see more of that collaborative problem solving in the nonprofit sector uh, in particular.
0: One of the things that you said was, for me, open source code isn't necessarily any better than proprietary code. And it sounds like you still believe that.
1: There's lots of amazing products that aren't open source. Like, I think that at this point, I can't imagine how I lived before Slack in my work life, right? And that's not open source. Nope. does great things. The tool is fantastic. So I'm going to use it.
0: I still like accessing Slack via IRC when I have to use Slack. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Everyone gets to pick. That's cool.
0: (laughs) I, I really do believe that I don't want to ever try and force my values onto other people. So I like that when there are solutions that work for everyone where we can say, hey, Slack works really great for me and I like how the apps work and I like how they host all of our data and it makes it easier, but I like that it also allows people who want to just access all of their chatting-type things through an IRC client. I like that it allows them to do that as well.
1: Yes, and I really think that that's a place, another place where open source really won is that I think that that kind of openness in its architecture that allows you to integrate it so nicely with so many other tools and to interface with it the way that you want to interface it with it, that kind of openness, that's because of the open source ethos. Open source has influenced tools even these closed-source tools to be more open and allow you that flexibility.
0: So let's switch gears a little bit and start talking some more about the Drupal Association. Over the past couple weeks, uh, especially at DrupalCon, I've talked to a lot of people about Drupal and the Drupal Association, and I've heard a lot of people express their ideas about how they understand what the DA is and what it does. People talk about fundraising and maintaining Drupal.org and growing the Drupal community, running DrupalCons. What is your elevator pitch for the DA?
1: Yeah, well, I'd love to start with our mission statement because I, I think it sums things up so nicely. And and that's basically that the association is here to unite a global open source community to build and promote Drupal. Um, and I think the 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 key things there around, you know, uniting that community is, is really key. And that's fundamental to all the work that we do. Um, so we bring people together at DrupalCons. We help them have conversations at Drupal.org. And then uh, we help them build and promote Drupal. So we build the tools that they use on uh, Drupal.org to actually create this software. And we work with the shops and the community around the world to help increase Drupal adoption. Uh, You know, that sort of uniting the community is the underpinning for everything that we do. Yeah, I mean, those are the sort of key things I like to talk about.
0: And one thing I want to point out is that the Drupal Association doesn't control how the code is written. Right. So what you guys can do is help enable others to write code. Is that kind of how you think about it?
1: That's right. That's right. So um, when we're we're uniting the community to build Drupal, we are not setting the direction for the project. That comes from Dries. So we're not saying, like, what you guys need now is, you know, a better UI for this. You know, all that comes from Dries and the the core committers team who are managing the product. But we do need to work closely with them to understand where the product is going and make sure that the tooling helps support that. So I think a good example is that starting with Drupal 8, uh, we're now going to have semantic versioning for the product. So instead of releasing 8 and then 9, we can release 8.1 and 8.2. Drupal.org didn't support that numbering system. We had to know that ahead of time and you know, adjust the tool to be able to accommodate that change so that it, it wouldn't become a release blocker itself.
0: So you could say, I think that it's fine if you guys want to switch to semantic versioning, but we have to technically support that because the Drupal Association supports Drupal.org.
1: Right. Yeah, we've got tons of things like that, too, just, you know, helping, um, helping localize get up to speed for Drupal 8 as well. So there's lots of examples where what's happening in the project filters down to the work that the association does. So we we do have to work closely together, um, but uh, it's, yeah, it's their project and they set the direction there.
0: So one part about the Drupal Association that I wanted to point out is that it's a 501c3, which is a charitable nonprofit that exists for the public good. And this differs from other kinds of technology profits such as say the the OpenStack Foundation or the Linux Foundation, which are trade associations. Mm -hmm. The tax code for them is 501c6. Those organizations exist to promote the interests of the for-profit businesses that control them and improve the business conditions in the industry. So I was curious how you view the Drupal association as distinct from some of these other trade associations
1: well you know the reason that we are a 501 c3 is both well is mostly happenstance frankly so let's just start there that was an accident (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't super purposeful the original association for drupal was actually it was established in belgium where dries was um and so it still exists there Drupal VZW, and I've come to understand that the initials VZW basically stand for nonprofit in Dutch. It's like saying NGO uh, in English. At any rate, so that was formed there. The cons started happening, and they got pretty big, and they were organized much like camps are now in their early years. So when we had the DrupalCon in Washington, D.C. in 2009, a set of particular shops were going to organize that con together, and they had to manage the finances for the con. And they quickly came to the realization that managing the finances for the con was going to mean, you know, dealing with a million plus dollars going in and out of a bank account. And nobody felt really comfortable having that happen through their own organization's bank account. They set up a 501c3 entity so that they could open bank accounts under that entity and run the DrupalCon funds through that entity in the United States for the U.S. cons. So that was the origin of the C3 status. Following that, the board of VZW voted to establish a U.S. entity um, and basically move the association operations to the U.S. And essentially what we did was align the business under that existing 501c3 application. That's the happenstance part of it. So we have this C3 status somewhat accidentally, and it was definitely given at a time when the IRS wasn't looking at C3 status the same way they do now for, for open source projects. So if we were to apply today for a C3, for C3 tax status, I'm not sure we would get it. But it's just a tax status. It doesn't need to define who we are as an organization or what we do. So, you know, I think as the association grows, we might see us decide to realign under a different tax status model. I don't know what that future looks like for sure, but I don't think we need to be a C3 forever. Uh, or we might have a C3 arm that's that really is got public benefit. It Like it helps build Drupal developers by doing, you know, uh, Drupal, Drupal education programs in schools, right? We help high school students learn Drupal, right? And that, that kind of training could be run under a C3 arm, but we have more trade association activities under a C6, for example. There's lots of ways to organize legally.
0: So it sounds like you've thought about this a bit.
1: I think about that all the time, yeah.
0: On the DA website right now, there's a, a video that talks about the Drupal Association. And one of the things it mentions is that the Drupal Associations helps Drupal businesses grow. How does that benefit the public good if those Drupal businesses grow?
1: Well, you can make lots of arguments there, right? Like, oh, when Drupal businesses grow, they hire people, people have jobs, you know, that kind of thing. But to your point, that kind of work actually probably does align more closely with a C6. But again, like just historically how things happen we have the tax status that we have certainly isn't against the public good (laughs) (laughs) to to build businesses and create jobs. (laughs) Uh You know, we don't, we don't feel like there's anything dishonest happening. I do think it's worth us looking at more closely in the future to think about where the right alignment really is.
0: This isn't some secret or something like that. This is something that you guys are considering saying, what is the purpose of the Drupal Association? Where are we going? Sounds like you're you're seeing the Drupal association as potentially moving more towards activities that are more trade association like.
1: Yeah, it could it could be. And just to give you an example of what that, you know, what that might look like um, in the future, so things that are more trade association-y. Right now, when we say that we help promote Drupal product rate and increase adoption, um, the work we do there is incredibly light. Um, and I don't want to undermine the staff here because they work incredibly hard. But like, you know, we're not running giant advertising campaigns for Drupal and, you know, creating huge booths at CES. We're not doing that kind of work. We don't have that kind of staff. We don't have that kind of budget for it. But we could do more of that. Right. And so if we were to, for example, pool money from business partners to run that kind of Drupal promotional campaign, that's a standard trade association tactic. And so if we did that work, which I think everyone would agree is like to the benefit of Drupal, but it just wouldn't align very strongly with the C3 standing that we have.
0: I'm reminded of talking to Jesse Von Doom from Cash Music on a previous episode of Hacking Culture because they applied for 501c3 status and were denied. There's a lot of things that went on with that, but they felt that groups like Cash Music were actually just money making enterprises. The IRS denied them, and they got in the news for that. And now Jesse believes that Cash Music is more of an educational organization, which sounds similar to what you were talking about with that aspect of what the DA does. Mm -hmm. And he feels that Cash Music is working to solve the problems that the for-profit industry cannot solve. Do you think you would say something like that about the Drupal Association?
1: Here's the thing. The definition of public good is really broad, and here's how the IRS measures it. Because remember, this is a tax-based status, not a values-based status that's assigned, whether you're a C3 or C6, right? It's all about tax. So how the IRS measures it is your funding sources. So in order to maintain your C3 status, you know, on top of all the legal filings and whatnot that you have to do, you also have a public support threshold that you have to be able to pass. And basically, I can't remember the exact percentages, so don't hold me to the numbers. Some percentage of your revenue has to come from the public um, and be in support of your mission from the public. For a normal nonprofit, public support might look like grant funding and donations as opposed to revenue from activities like a lot of nonprofits have businesses that they run um, to help fund their work, right? And and that work is not considered public support. For the association, most of our public support comes from membership dollars that we receive and then program-related dollars as well, program that directly serves our mission. And so for us, the largest section of program-related funding is DrupalCon revenue. Both the sponsorships and the ticket sales, so that's fulfilling our public funding model. So we're still like completely compliant in the eyes of the the tax law. As we grow, if we take on additional funding models, like we've introduced some advertising opportunities, for example, that's considered unrelated business income. First of all, it's taxed, but also it is not public support. And so, it, you know, it, as those revenue lines expand, they will eat into our public support percentage and we will we would be at the, at some point forced to think about what legal model we want to pursue at that point. Sure. We're legally we're legally doing.
0: You're not breaking the law.
1: <laughs> we're not breaking the law. But I also like I said, I want to be I want to be true to the values and the spirit of that tax status as well because that's who we are as an organization, right? Like, it's not good enough in the Drupal community to to just follow the letter of the law, right? We want to follow the spirit of the law as well.
0: Well, and the big difference with a charity, a 501c3, and a trade organization is that the trade organizations are not a neutral party. You know, they have to listen to the businesses that support them.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's why we would probably not pursue a single entity model, we might form a C6 that does one set of activities because it would make sense for promoting Drupal to work heavily with the businesses. But the, the needs of the businesses often compete against the needs of the individual developers. And in that sense, a C3 might make more sense to serve their needs. So, you know, these are the kinds of fun complexities that we toy with.
0: Tax code seems like it can be such a boring topic, just like talking about, you know, free software licenses. But it is really, I think, important that people understand, you know, the essence of what the organization is trying to do. As you mentioned earlier, you know, what is the mission of the Drupal Association and are we fulfilling that? I think that's great that you're exploring some of these other avenues because uh, certainly I've heard a lot of people talking recently about the corporate influence in Drupal and Mm -hmm. the idea of having two nonprofits supporting it. Well, on one hand, that seems kind of scary but on the other hand i can see where that could make some sense Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and i don't i don't have the answers i'm just saying like these are the kinds of issues that get raised and that we're trying to navigate and even though like i said it is just tax code we're trying to do in a values-based way
0: Let's talk then a little bit more about the corporate partners of the da that you've mentioned the corporate partners provide a lot of funding for the drupal association and as a result people say things that kind of surprise me like they will say that the the da is aquia's lapdog that's a, a real <laughs> phrase somebody said
1: oh i know
0: <laughs> da is, is a mouthpiece for aquia Somebody else said something that just kind of shocked me. They said that Acquia is a control, and the quote was, resistance is futile. How would you respond to those characterizations?
1: Gosh. Okay. So here's the thing. I... I have a very strong emotional personal reaction, so I'm gonna. I want to start there actually with my personal reaction, and then I want to talk about how that's full of bit separate than the, the DA reaction. So the reason I have an emo, like a personal reaction to this, even though it doesn't seem like it's a personal thing for someone to say, the DA is the mouthpiece of the lapdog. It, I I do take it really personally, and the reason is that I have I think a high amount of personal integrity, and so it. Is offensive to me when people say that because I don't want to be anyone's lapdog or mouthpiece. Also, if you actually knew me, any thought, any independent th- thought that I have in my own head comes right out of my mouth <laughs> to anyone. <laughs> so I sort of find it <laughs> hilarious to think that uh, you know I would I would let this organization be the mouthpiece <laughs> for anything. But you know that I find just sort of personally insulting, and I think. It bothers me for my staff as well, because just, you know, watching the hours that these guys put into their work and how deeply they care about the outcomes, it's insulting to imply that they are somehow being duplicitous. And so that's like my personal reaction to it. It makes me mad, (laughs) but I think, you know, I can put that aside and for the association, I have a couple of thoughts. On the one hand, I don't think those are healthy expressions of concerns, but I do appreciate that people have concerns. And I honestly actively believe that it is important for people to push back and to challenge the things that we do, basically. I I think it's important for the community to hold up their hand and say, wait a minute, why are you doing what you're doing? Because even the best of intentions are sometimes fueled by unspoken biases. And I really believe that the community voice can help us challenge those and ultimately bring us to a better outcome and a better place. So I think that that is good. And then I would just like to fundamentally say that is also not to use inflammatory language here, but that is ridiculous. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. I have no idea what's going on at Acquia from day to day. (laughs) So, you know, it's sort of a funny thing for me to think about. Just logistically, we got enough of our own stuff going on that we're really not concerned about what Acquia is doing day to day. Beyond, you know, whatever business relationships we need to facilitate to do things like make sure they're having a good sponsorship opportunity like we do with every other sponsor.
0: That was a great answer. I hope people hear that. I hope I have to have less of those backroom conversations.
1: You know, and I I think too, like there's always so much I can say for a certain set of people, like it it just like they're not going to believe that, you know, they're not going to believe what I have to say, and that's okay. Like I said, I think they have a role to play. I just would like to find a less inflammatory way to have those
0: conversations
1: because it's insulting the way that it's put.
0: You had mentioned previously on another podcast, actually, I have notes, Drupal Easy 13. You described something as radioactive fury. (laughs) And that there was a lack of trust in the organization before you got there. At least among certain members of the community, some people were upset. And it seems like you understood this coming into your job at the Drupal Association.
1: Yeah. And I will also add that I love hyperbole, So (laughs) that is clear from that statement. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely knew that.
0: Has that been one of the things you've been working on since you started in 2013 is to help, you know, actively work against some of that fury?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to I want to be clear, like, I don't think that the issues were solely the fault of, you know, any previous incarnation of the association. I think it's um was a completely natural tension because. The community existed long before any kind of governing body did. What's naturally going to happen is you're going to put a governing body down because you need some things to be able to grow the community. When that governing body comes to town, they're going to start to do some things, take on things that the community maybe isn't as efficient at doing anymore. The implication is that if the association takes on the work, that somehow these, the community was not doing it well enough. Or we don't like the way the community was doing it or like somehow we're disrespectful of the people that were doing the work in the past. And there is like sort of a natural power struggle that happens no matter how well it's executed, that's going to be there and it's going to cause a ruckus. And I fully accept that. And so the only thing we can do is try to execute really well when there is an agreement in general that it's time for the association to take something on. For example, staffing up to work on Drupal.org. And, you know, we've run into this like again and again, I, I talked to a few volunteers at Austin who were like, it's awesome that you have someone whose part-time job is to help answer questions in the webmaster queue. Now, am I still needed as a volunteer? And that question is a super healthy expression of that tension. So it was great. We had to have a dialogue with the Webmaster Q volunteers. We're taking on this role because of these things, and we're trying to answer the questions that, you know, you guys don't want to have to deal with, you know, and like, let's sort out where our line ends and yours begins, that that kind of thing. So I think that's mostly where the, as I so eloquently described it, fury comes from, (laughs) It's like that that kind of really natural thing. And it did get exacerbated by a few, I think, potential missteps there, What, what might be described as missteps. And I have really worked hard to basically execute against those tensions as well as I can. And that's by putting out as much information as I can, by being as conversant as I can, by being open to feedback, right? And just trying to model the way that we want to have these conversations,
0: the word I've heard you use a lot is transparency. You had a Reddit AMA and you mentioned that in that N10 article I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like that is one of the aspects that you've been working on is making lots of things about the Drupal Association more transparent.
1: Yeah. And I've, I mean, starting with what does transparent mean to the community?
0: Sometimes it's transparency versus communication.
1: Yeah. And I think the thing for me is really been thinking through how to be as proactive as possible and not passive with the transparency. For example, I think the legal requirement for making board minutes for public institutions available is that they, they have to be available on request, which means that if somebody, uh, I almost said called the Drupal Association, but we very rarely use a telephone. I don't know. Someone email <laughs> Emailed us, right, or,
0: they sent you a letter.
1: Yeah. Sent, sent us a letter typed. Yeah. <laughs> what is stationary? Um, anyway, if someone, uh, you know, uh, PM does an IRC or sent us an email and said, Oh, I understand that at a previous board meeting, you discussed X topic. Can I get a copy of the minutes? And we'd say yes. And we would get them to them. That would fulfill our legal requirement, but that's really passive. We try to be much more proactive than that. And this is something that was actually started by Jacob. Like we record every board meeting. The recordings are put up online. The full minutes are made available. All of the meeting materials are made available. So that's that's much more proactive. I think another example is just uh, with the financials. We post the financials once a quarter and make them publicly available. But when I do so, I also usually write a blog post that tries to break those financials down and make them digestible. Like, here's what you need to know about these financials, because I don't expect that the full community is going to necessarily be able to read a set of financial statements and know what they mean. I've been really focusing on that. The, how proactive we are around this transparency is, is something that we've, we've talked a lot about internally.
0: Yeah, I think another area where you guys have done a great job is with the Drupal 8 Accelerate project, because that project aims to raise $250,000 to help get Drupal 8 out the door. When I looked up information about that on Drupal.org, I found lists of everyone who got money, what specific issues they solved, what events happened. Has that level of transparency been enough to appease some of the critics?
1: you know i think it's helped mostly just as a signal not necessarily because everyone's going to parse all that information but just to know that that's how we're trying to operate i know that that has been really helpful for for folks to begin to build the trust back up and that's not to say that we execute perfectly all the time we make like i can probably name a dozen mistakes in the next 10 seconds, right? But we try really hard to operate that way and, and to build that trust because people can see that that's how we want to behave.
0: I noticed on the website that the last time the Drupal Association had an annual report was from 2011. Mm-hmm. Do you think the annual reports play a role with regards to the transparency of the Drupal Association?
1: You know, I think that they should. Um, we didn't do one after 2011. Uh, it just didn't feel like the right way to spend our time what we what we've published every year. So the annual report in 2011, if I recall correctly, and I meant to try to dig up I have an actual paper copy somewhere, which is funny. If I recall correctly, what's in there is basically our annual financial statements and then a list of donors. Um, was basically like 95% of what was in the annual report, right? Yep. Okay. Good. <laughs> Both of those things we're still making available, just not as an annual report right now. So we're still publishing our annual financial statements and we're, you know, uh, we, we've done two audits in a row now, which is above and beyond our legal requirement. So we've made those available. We do we do plan to put a, an annual report out for 2014, and that'll come out later this year. But we just want to shift it so it's not just a list of things and some numbers because you can achieve that. Um, what we want to try to do is, and this is part of the reason we haven't spent time on it in the past, we want to be able to use the annual report to to show the impact of the association on the community. Um, and so that's, that is where we're spending some time this year. And there were some preconditions that had to exist before we could do that, actually having goals. Sure. (laughs) You know, things we were trying to (laughs) accomplish. So we're in a much better place to start to do that kind of reporting in an annual report, and and we'll start getting those out there again.
0: Before I worked at Lullabot, just about every place that I worked was a nonprofit. And the function of that annual report, I think, was often to help convey to potential donors what the organization was doing. Other organizations nonprofit organizations hire not just people to handle membership, corporate support, but also major giving people, people that want to devote lots of money or or planned giving people that want to add an organization in their will. Does the Drupal Association seek funding like that from major givers?
1: Not right now. Part of the reason that I have like 8 million words about C3 versus C6 and whatnot is that, you know, we are looking at what are the long-term revenue models for the organization Based on what we think we need to raise to be able to do the kind of work we think we want to do for the community. Not just to grow the organization, to grow the organization, but because we do want to grow fully into promoting Drupal. What does that really look like? What do we need to, what's the funding we need to do that? So that, that makes us think about funding models and tax status. You know, that could be part of our funding model moving forward, but it isn't something that we focus on right now.
0: I don't raise that as a big criticism, but it just makes it seem like in a way that the Drupal association is kind of a different sort of nonprofit from some of the other nonprofits that maybe people are involved with. And maybe the fact that it's very technology focused and filled with people that are very hands on and that are used to being able to look at everything and wanting full transparency and, you know, open code and all that, you know, I wonder if that has some effect on, you know, how the organization functions. Yeah. Yeah, no,
1: I mean, I've been mostly looking at other open source projects and their models at this point, as opposed to looking to other nonprofits in general. You know, I, th- I think that's where our inspiration will come from. And some of those, some of those do have, you know, like major giving programs. I could see that being part of our future, but I just don't know yet.
0: Speaking of other Projects, you have mentioned in a Twitter conversation where you talked about- Did I
1: set that up just really well? Do I get points for setting really that up? Did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like you knew what I was going to say. <laughs> you mentioned that you wanted Drupal to be more like Linux than Puppet. Mm-hmm. You said we will be Puppet if the number of companies paying developers to work on Drupal Core does not spread out. And I was curious what it meant to you to be more like Linux than Puppet.
1: Yeah, and I to- I don't mean that as a, I am not making a judgment about Puppet. Like, there are lots of models for open source projects. So that is great. Their model great. It's the right one for them. So I'm not making a judgment uh, about it carte launch, but I am making a judgment about it in relation to the Drupal community. So like I said, there are, there are a lot of different models out there. In the Puppet model, you've got a, single privileged actor in the Puppet Labs, and I'd say, you know, WordPress has a single privileged actor in the form of automatic. And by single privileged actor, I mean, there is an entity that benefits from the adoption of that open source tool and they benefit from the adoption and the ecosystem around it. So for example, as Puppet is more widely adopted, Puppet Labs benefits from selling Puppet services. And as WordPress is more widely adopted, automatic benefits from people using the automatic tools like their ad services. And I presume eventually, you know, the commerce tool they just bought and all that good stuff. With a single privileged actor in both of these models, Puppet and, and Automatic, the majority of development for the tool happens by paid staff that work for those privileged actors. Puppet is really developed by Puppet staffers. I think Mongo, you could make the same argument. You might argue around the edges with me a little bit, but most of the development is happening by paid staffers of those single privileged actors. There is contribution from a community, but it is not nearly as robust as the kind of community contribution that we see in the Drupal community. What I mean by I want us to be more Linux than Puppet is Linux is an interesting case. They have contribution... That comes from three or four large actors in their space, IBM and Red Hat. The majority of contribution comes from those places, but they still have a lot of contribution around the edge, volunteer-based contribution around the edges. Um, and that contribution, what's interesting to me is if you talk to most Linux contributors who don't work for Red Hat or IBM, they still have that. I'm sticking it to the man kind of, I'm, um, you know, badass, amazing, you know, independent community spirit, which I love. And that's something that the Drupal community has and is really concerned about losing and rightly so. And I don't want the community to lose that. That is part of who we are. And when I say we're here to unite a United global or open source community of developers, we want part of that uniting them is uniting them around their culture, right, and helping them sustain that
0: do you get inspiration from other free software foundations, such as the Apache Software Foundation or the Gnome Foundation or the the FSF, the Free Software Foundation, or, or even like the WordPress Foundation? Do you look to any of those as role models?
1: I'm still working on my research. I definitely look at Apache. There's a lot of interesting things happening in Apache as well. So there's some really good stuff there for sure. And I think that's, between Linux and Apache, that's probably where I spent most of my time thinking about, oh, these are the kinds of things we could we could look at. But I'm I'm very I'm still withholding some judgment about you know where exactly we try to go um, because we lack a set of data for about our community and our contribution at this point, which we're just starting to collect now that we have comment and issue attribution on the site, we can now see how many contributions to the project are paid for by a client or paid for by a a shop and, you know, or paid for by a shop for a client, right? And how many are volunteer-based contributions? And I think it'll be really important for us to understand what actually is happening in our community before we have a discussion about where we want to go. I just know vaguely, like, it's probably more Linux and less Puppet.
0: That sort of data... I'm quite certain will ring well with the Drupal community because you can say, here, we collected a bunch of data. We came to our own conclusion. Here's all the data we collected. You guys all agree. And then have that help guide the future.
1: Yeah. And what I really love at some point is to get an API for that data so that other people can you know, play with it too. But um, But I think it'll be really telling about where we're at. And our community does love data. So I'm sure they'll eat that up and and really just help us think through what it means. But there, what I found so far, there are very few projects who collect that kind of data. It's interesting to think about some projects, I would assume, think that they are more volunteer-driven than they really are. We'll see what happens in our case.
0: Yeah, it's tough to say. I think there is kind of a different feeling with the different free software projects. I've been to conferences put on by the Free Software Foundation, and the corporate presence is definitely much, much less. That's how that foundation works. And obviously they are probably the furthest to that end of the spectrum in terms of wanting to do things for philosophical reasons rather than for corporate reasons. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that the Drupal community has done very well. And I think a lot of this is a credit to Dries is to, to incorporate such a wide variety of voices. Mm-hmm. And you, you especially have to respond to a lot of different interests, a lot of different people using the software very large corporate organizations to still a very strong and significant grassroots nonprofit focused group of folks.
1: Yeah. I think that is really, that is one of the things that I believe a diversity of opinions end up creating a better answer, right? As long as those people can work well together, um, you're going to get a better answer. The more different experiences you can bring into the room to help hash out the, the solution. That's a tough thing to put into practice. And I definitely I definitely don't do it very well all the time, but I really try and the intention is there to to do that you know as well as we can. I'd be curious like what's your experience of that in the community? Where do you feel like we're really successful with that?
0: I think the types of things that the association has been doing with regards to transparency, like the funding, And the Drupal 8 Accelerate, you know, I was very skeptical about that at the beginning because I was concerned that that might have some effect on volunteerism. You know, when I go back and look at the roadmap that Drupal.org slash roadmap and see all the kinds of things that you guys are doing and how that particular initiative fits in with some of the other goals Mm -hmm. and then to see exactly how that money was spent. I think that's really a good way of, you know, being out in the community, telling people what you're going to do, showing them, this is where we're going. Hey, just so you know, and, and then saying here, this is what we did. And this is the results in that initiative. I saw lots of individuals donate Drupal Camp Twin Cities that I've been a part of did a matching gift thing, you know, big organizations like where I work at Lullabot donated money. And I think those types of things where. You can get lots of different people working together towards that common goal. I think that is one of the the best places. I think the way you guys have gone about looking at the tools on Drupal.org. You know, I went to the, the talk at DrupalCon about the changes there. I think anyone would be really hard-pressed to say that those changes to making the developer or the contributor experience better benefit any one entity it seems like those tools are awesome and the fact that we've continued to host all of our code on drupal.org i mean i think that's awesome too it's one of the few places where there's like a major open source project that's not using github you know i'm kind of biased myself i have particular biases towards like how the debian community works Mm -hmm. and that strong grassroots feeling you know on the other hand i I work at a large organization that works with big for profit companies and I think it's great that they can all kind of coexist.
1: Yeah. I mean I'll agree, like if you you know what's interesting about d Accelerate is there are some people who don't really like that goal, right? And don't don't think that we should be providing that funding, which is totally fair. They can, you know you know, they don't have to participate and there's a place for folks who, who do feel aligned around it to to go forward. I think the harder the harder kinds of things are the stuff that we tend to try to solve in the issue cues. That's the place where I get really knotted up <laughs> in, in trying to figure out how to allow for diversity of opinion and still get to an answer because we often have both sort of philosophical um, and sometimes they border on religious arguments right, alongside of sort of tactical operational arguments you can't reconcile this should absolutely not exist with i'm so glad you're doing this
0: the issue of the issue cues is that that's you know that's been a long tradition of the drupal community to let lots of people (laughs) talk (laughs) yes yeah and allow for lots of opinions and then it seems like we sort of settle on something you know there's definitely a history of free software projects that have been successful using that approach Mm -hmm. we reject kings and and monarchs and voting or something like that it's more about that general consensus
1: yeah i don't necessarily want us to step into that right away right like there's lots of other work for us to do but i do think i think a lot i don't worry about but i think a lot about how the tooling influences the kinds of conversations that we have Because I think the way the issue cues are constructed, we don't believe in kings in the association, right? Like we don't surround Angie with a security team, right? And we don't like put special things on her badge to let everyone know how fancy she is. But at the same time, I think the way the tooling works now, it is sort of king making or queen making in the sense that. Very few people can begin to control an outcome very quickly, the way the tooling works now, especially because um, I think Josh pointed out the other day, he actually has some research somewhere, something that we've talked about a bunch, which is that the psychology behind these kinds of tools is that people tend to actually jump on a negative bandwagon much more than they will plus one a positive comment. So I don't know, like, I, I think I think there's some of the things about the tools that reinforce some negative behavior in our community that does exhaust everyone.
0: The fact that that has been a successful model in the past, I'm glad that you're not using that as a reason not to change it and that you guys are doing all this work to look at how we can change that to make it better. Because I certainly know from my own personal experience that it took a long time to figure out how core development work. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be, You'd have to write subscribe, you know, if you wanted to start following an issue.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, those those kinds of things, I think, you know, those are on our roadmap now. And those are the kinds of things that are easy, right? Like just make it easier for folks who want to get engaged to find that path. Right. And we're really focused on that right now. But I do think it's time to think about, like, is the community at a scale where the tools don't really serve the project that well anymore? Are they actually becoming a hindrance instead of helping? But that's for another day. we got plenty of fixes, other stuff to work on, I guess.
0: I think that volunteerism piece is key. And I mentioned the Drupal 8 Accelerate project. I have mixed feelings about it. I kind of go back and forth. Some days I'm inspired by all these people that want to give money to support developers. Some days I'm feeling like, well, if they're going to pay for this issue to get fixed, then maybe I don't want to spend my evening working on this core issue when somebody else might be getting paid to have that fixed.
1: I think that's totally fair, and I think the it goes back to that Twitter conversation about do we want to be Puppet or do we want to be Linux or, you know, we want to be Drupal, but, you know, which if, the, if that's a spectrum, which side do we want to be closer to? I think that we have more corporate contribution than we know because we haven't been able to see it. I would guess that the majority of work done on Drupal Core is paid for. It's either paid for by Acquia, who obviously pays for Drupal devs. And I just also want to say thank you to Black Mesh for hiring Kathy and paying for her time. And, it, you know, it does result in code contribution. And even though Kathy doesn't spend most of her time writing core code. But uh, but mostly, you know, Acquia hires core devs uh, with Chapter 3 hired Alex Pot, right? So that's amazing, there's that, and that is, that's a significant amount of code right there. But then I think, you know, other code comes from other, other paid projects. So I think we just have to recognize that the project is at a scale where paid contribution is necessary. And now we have to sort out how should that payment work? Should it be because companies sponsor core developers the way Acquia and Chapter 3 and Black Mesh have? Or should it be uh, another entity that pays for them? Like maybe there is a, you know, a, some other, a, an association arm that pays for that. You know, I don't know what it is. But it is, it, it was clear that if we actually wanted to finish Drupal 8, we were going to have to be able to give people paid time to do it. We needed some of our volunteers to be able to say, I will not take that consulting project today. I will instead focus on core work because I can make my monthly nut doing that now.
0: I personally don't think there's anything wrong going down that road. And I think the more we can get larger companies to contribute on the scale of an Acquia and make it so that it doesn't appear that one company is in control, the better. How we get there, that's the tricky question.
1: Yeah. And I would say like whether you agree with the fact that contribution should be paid for or not, it is, right? It just is. It's a reality. And that's the reality we have to try to find the best path forward in now.
0: You think it's a reality that we need to be paying people to work on Drupal core?
1: Yes. And I'm very scared for my email inbox later. <laughs> but I do, I do believe that.
0: I personally don't want to be guilted into <laughs> to doing core development, and I don't mind if I'm going to do core development and be paid for it. If Drupal is going to be used by a lot of these corporations, and there's going to be corporations that find it useful enough that they want to pay people to do it, then I don't think there's anything wrong with us going down that, but I think we should definitely be transparent about that direction. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's just a discussion. So like, you know, Drupal 8 Accelerate was sort of an experiment to see, first off, could we actually accelerate project development by making funds available? Because there's no point in paying people if it doesn't actually make things go faster. But it did. It does. Everyone who is working on that project says, hands down, like, and if you look at the, like, if you go to the Drupal 8 project page and you can see the, like, the Jess has that awesome graph of issues. You can see when the funding started to hit and it's like a nosedive. And it was also an experiment about what will the community tolerate and what issues does this raise for them so that if we think about this on a larger sustainable scale and not a, hey, let's get out of the D8 hole situation, What are the considerations that we should try to make? So, you know, we got to keep having conversation around it. But to your point, yeah, you know, just be transparent and we're going to have to pick a path. And I know that's going to alienate some people when we do pick a path forward. But if we don't pick a path forward, like that's just not an option, not picking a path.
0: It's important that people don't feel like that that path was chosen for them, but that the community got together and said, we chose this together. And in your case... You know, how does the Drupal Association realize that goal? How do we support those Mm -hmm. individuals? I mean, it certainly seems like, for example, the D8 Accelerate was much more successful than lots of attempts where people tried to get individuals to give to individuals with projects like GitTip. There's been lots of people Mm -hmm. that have tried different ways to fund core development, and I haven't seen one that seemed like it's been more successful than that D8 Accelerate, other than companies directly paying developers. With, for example, the Linux project, because no one company is in control and lots of companies are contributing, it's understood as not biased, that we're getting what the people generally want and what they're generally willing to pay for. And that does seem like there's a a good role model there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, Acquia needs the competition in that space. (laughs) They need more people to hire core developers. You know, I know Drees wants it. I think, honestly, he would hire more core developers if other people would hire more core developers. But if he hired another core developer at this point, it would be, you know, he could not do that politically in the community. So, you know, we need to figure out how to spread this out so that it's not so concentrated in in one space. Again, just like kudos to Black Mesh Chapter 3 for stepping up to do that. And we just need to figure out how to do more of it. And, you know, I really hope they're having a successful experience with it so that we we can keep that going.
0: Well, Holly, it has been a pleasure talking with you. I just want to thank you again for coming on the show and digging into some of these thornier issues.
1: Well, I am really excited to to do that. And I thank you for giving me a space for it. And I'm sorry that I talk so much.
0: No, (laughs) you don't have to apologize for that. That's what the show is all (laughs) about, is letting people talk.
1: I don't need very much prompting.
0: (laughs) Well, I'd like to think that I did something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> you were awesome you were awesome yeah thanks for everything thank you for listening to this episode of hacking culture you can learn more about this show and subscribe at lullabot.com slash hacking culture please follow at hacking culture and at matthew tift on twitter or MTIft on microcast you can also contact Matthew via email at hackingculture@lullabot.com. This episode is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States License. Hacking Culture is produced at Lullabot. The theme music
0: is from the Open Goldberg Variations. Thank you for listening. Is that a big enough answer?